0: Open your Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 11 this morning. We'll move around the book of Acts just a little bit, but Acts chapter 11, we're going to look this morning at the sending of a servant, the sending of a servant. Exactly how does it work when God calls, and as a church, there's someone that we are, uh, in a sense, sending, and uh, that they are going to go and minister and work and labor Uh, in a different place, in a different location. We're going to see this morning, uh, hopefully, some principles that will be a help, be an encouragement as uh, we look and consider this subject of sending a servant. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse number 19. It says, Now they they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Father, I pray that you would help us as we study this morning. I pray that you would give exactly what we need. We love and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. After the martyrdom of Stephen, of course, this great persecution began to rise here in Jerusalem. And many of the people of Jerusalem were scattered. Many of them uh, of the Jerusalem church began to flee from Jerusalem, to flee from this uh, persecution that had come in. And uh, while they were running and scattering from this place, of course, uh, we would look at it and most of the time say that this was obviously the, the, uh, that which God had to use to spread the gospel. The gospel was kind of centered here uh, in Jerusalem, and it really wasn't getting outside very fast. But the goal and the job, the mission of the church, was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so the Lord allowed some persecution to come. And through that persecution, this scattering of the church to take place. And to their credit, they did something that was exactly what they were supposed to do. As they scattered, they went everywhere preaching the word of God and they began to just give the message. And all of the uh, places that they scattered to and scattered through, uh, people began to be saved. And of course, uh, many of them did not understand, if you were to go back into chapter 11 just a little bit, uh, you would find that uh, it speaks of Peter's vision and uh, showing, in fact, you find uh, the full story a couple of times here in the book of Acts of how God lowered those animals. And he told Peter uh, in the vision, he told Peter to eat of them. and He said, not so, Lord, they're unclean. And the Lord said, that which I have called clean, don't call unclean. And so So God was showing that uh, he was supposed to go with Cornelius down and preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and the gospel message was open to the Gentiles as well. And so uh, some of them probably did not get that message. They'd already begun scattering uh, to them. This was a Jewish religion. This was a Jewish thing. It wasn't for everyone. Uh, But then now there's some that began to scatter, and they began to come down and find out that even Gentiles could get saved. Aren't you glad they figured that out? And uh, so they start figuring out even us Gentiles could get saved, and they began to preach the gospel to the Gentiles as well. And and Gentiles started getting saved and lives started being changed. And uh, we know that one of them that was scattered was Philip. Philip was one of the deacons in the church there in Jerusalem. And uh, we know from uh, earlier here in the book that he was one of those who was scattered and went preaching. Another of the deacons uh, was a man, if you go back to chapter six, just uh, real quickly, in chapter six, where it gives us the list of the deacons. And in verse number five, It says, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. So here's the deacons they chose. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith. He was the one martyred and of the Holy Ghost. And Philip, uh, he would become the evangelist, and he would uh, scatter, he would preach, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenes, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. We don't know for sure, but it's very possible that Nicholas is one of those that was scattered and that as Nicholas was scattered, he uh, began to scatter down towards this region that he's from uh, or the city that would be his home city of Antioch. And uh, we see him there. We don't know for sure. We do know that he was from there. And the Bible tells us a little bit about these who would come. It says in verse number 20 of chapter 11, some, some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch. Spake unto the Grecians. So there were uh, men of Cyprus and Cyrene that would also come down here to Antioch. We don't know exactly how it happened. Uh, Again, I like to try to kind of think through these uh, stories and what it might have been like and uh, uh, what might have happened. I just kind of picture Nicholas being one of them who was uh, coming with them. He's one of the seven deacons. He is uh, one of those who's uh, he's known as a leader. And perhaps they came down to Cyprus and they found that uh, there were others who had scattered here as well. And the gospels being preached, they said, "You know, uh, there's people here preaching. Let's go down to Cyrene." And so they come down a little uh, to Cyrene and they begin to preach the gospel, there. they find that, uh, again, people are there, the gospel's being spread, and and I just kind of picture Nicholas saying, uh, you know, my hometown of Antioch, it's a booming town. In fact, it was a town that at this time, uh, a couple of miles of the road, were actually paved with marble. Uh, it's really an, an incredible thought. I can't imagine driving around on marble. They didn't even get to drive on it. And uh, But here they come, and uh, it's this town that's exciting. It's a town that's an intersection of multiple highways that are of great importance at the time. It's uh, a town of great value. It's a town that is very strategic in its location. and uh, But it's also a very diverse town because of all that. And So I just picture Nicholas saying, guys, there's already people preaching here. You guys are from here. I know that, but I'm from Antioch. Why don't you come to my town with me and, and let's go down there and preach? And and again, maybe that happened, maybe it didn't. But I just picture here they come uh, down to Antioch. We know some of them are from Cyprus and Cyrene, and so they come down here to Antioch and they begin to preach and they're preaching even to the Gentiles, which is so hard to believe in their New Testament mindset. And they begin to preach even to these Gentiles, and now like lives are being changed, people are being saved, uh, things are happening. It's exciting. It's thrilling. And, uh, and they're really kind of in need of some help. And so uh, we see them here. This is all taking place. This is all going on. And in verse number uh, 22, it says, Then tidings of these things came under the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And so I don't, uh, again, we don't know for sure Nicholas was here. But in my imagination, I just picture Nicholas saying, you know, I remember when we were in Jerusalem and we would have those deacons meetings with Pastor James and uh, what it was like. And you know what we need to do? We need to let them know what's happening because they're going to be excited. And by the way, he would have had a particular concern, if it was Nicholas, uh, for the well-being of Pastor James. They would have had a close relationship most likely. And you can imagine him saying, you know, they probably need some encouragement. I mean, imagine, a few weeks ago, you had a church running somewhere, uh, most would guesstimate, many guesstimate higher, but most would guesstimate at least running around 25,000 people in your church. Then this persecution comes, and I don't know exactly how many people left. I don't know if it was half. That'd be a pretty big number. I don't know if it was more than half, but I know it was a fairly significant number of people that began to spread. And you know, it's discouraging for a pastor, even if it's for a reason that they understand, when people just begin to scatter out of their church, (laughs) So I just picture maybe Nicholas saying, you know, let's send a letter back and let them know what God's doing down here. And let's let them know how God is working and how God is moving. And and, and so, tidings of these things come. And I picture them uh, maybe writing a letter and saying, uh, Hey, God is really working. We've gotten down here to Antioch. Jews are being saved. Gentiles are being saved. Uh, Many people, their lives are being changed. It's it's an exciting time. It's a thrilling time. God's really working in a great way. And and you can just almost imagine uh, that letter arriving and how encouraged Pastor James would be. And, And maybe that next deacon's meeting, again, this is just an American mindset and I know that but I just picture them that next deacons being saying all right guys we have this event coming up and, and last year we invited our whole community out to this event and we had 25,000 people in our church and then we had a, a, another 20 or so thousand we had almost 50,000 people at this event last year it was great good outreach event we bought a hundred thousand hot dogs now we have 5,000 people in our church how many hot dogs do we actually need how many people you think will actually show up? I mean, now, I know they weren't trying to figure out hot dogs, but that's what we would be trying to figure out, and I can only imagine if we went from 25,000 people to, I don't know, I'm just using a number, but 5,000 people, I would be going, I don't have any clue. I mean, what if 30,000 people from town show up? We want to make sure we've got food for them, but I really don't want an extra 23,000 hot dogs left after this thing's over either amen and so you i mean you can imagine some of the the real issues maybe that they were dealing with not necessarily hot but all the little things that come into play when you're a church that was here and now you're here, and by the way, it works the other way too. As you grow, there's growth problems and there's shrinking problems. I like growth problems a lot better, amen? And, uh, but, but you can just imagine in working through all this, and maybe they're having this conversation, and maybe they're a little discouraged because all these people are gone, and how do we make everything work? How does everything function on a practical level like it always has? And, and what do we do with these things? And then I just kind of imagine, maybe at the end of that meeting, they're a little discouraged. He says, now, guys, before we go, we got one more matter. I got a letter this week. And I just picture maybe unfolding that letter, un- uh, unrolling, whatever it would be, and saying now, uh, Nicholas has sent us a letter about all these people that are being saved and all these lives that are being changed. And, and, and he puts here at the end of the letter, as he's reading it, that uh, he says, now, man, he, he's willing to follow a pastor. He's willing to work under a pastor. You all know, just a, a matter of months ago, he would have been a part of this meeting. And, and, uh, but, but the reality of it is he wants to serve, he wants to work, but he's not called to be a pastor and 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 they need some help these people their lives are being changed they're being saved but they need somebody that can come and kind of help order them a little bit help put them into an actual local new testament church that functions as it's supposed to and and they need somebody who can really be a pastor kind of a figure and and help them through this and and i just picture him saying now man we need to think about this uh is there someone that god would want to use there And I picture him saying, now, Antioch, it's a thriving, growing, modern city. So it'll have to be somebody sharp. But not only that, Antioch is a very diverse city. So it'll have to be somebody who's completely free of prejudice. And not only that, Antioch is a very wicked city. So it's going to have to be somebody who's bold and strong. So they're going to have to have all this. They're going to have to be no prejudice." Very bold and very strong, and they're going to have to be sharp enough that they can lead these people in this kind of a manner in a city like this. And I just imagine all the deacons at once saying, hey, why don't we send Barney? And they say, all right, call Barnabas. They call him in. Hey, Barnabas, we've got this task. Well, would you be interested? We want you to go down and just kind of see what's happening down here in Antioch. We're hearing about it. And you see it here in the rest of verse number 22. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. So they said, go down and see what's happening down in some of these cities, Cyprus and Cyrene. He's going to pass a lot of these on his way to Antioch anyway. And so go down through these cities and see what God's doing there. Uh, He's going to give some instruction that this is open to the Gentiles in places where they may not know and then we want you to go all the way even down as far as Antioch and and they need some help down there and we're finding out about all these people being saved but they need somebody to help structure them into a church and and really be a pastor for this church in Antioch and so You can imagine, uh, as they say that, here comes Barnabas, and he's coming into this situation specifically to order this thing uh, as a church, specifically to come and provide some leadership. And he gets there, and he begins working with the people, and it's almost immediately evident he's the perfect fit. I mean, it's wonderful. Barnabas comes in, and, and he gets sent down there in verse 22, but look at verse 23. Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all, he's encouraging them, he's, he's challenging them, but he's encouraging them. That they with purpose of heart should cleave unto the Lord. Look, uh, all you new Christians, look, with purpose of heart, choose to serve God. Choose to cleave to the Lord. Choose to have a close relationship. So he's challenging them in this, he's encouraging them in it. Verse 24, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And notice the last part of verse 24, and much people was added unto the Lord. So they've already been seeing a lot of people saved. They've already seen God working, Jews and Gentiles, both being saved. Now Barnabas comes down, and Barnabas begins to work with them. And now, even on top of the many they've already seen and written back about, now much people are added to the Lord. Can you just imagine what it must be like? It's like, I mean, it's almost like this revival atmosphere, and everywhere they go, they're just seeing people saved, and lives are being changed, and the church is growing, and it's an exciting time, and Barnabas is leading, and and they're all going, man, this is wonderful. I mean, Barnabas is like the perfect fit for here, and and then all of a sudden, Barnabas says, now guys, God's really working. I need some help. I need an assistant pastor, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go, and I'm going to find this guy named Saul, and so Barnabas is going to leave. And he's going to go up to Tarsus, and verse number uh, uh, 25, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So he goes and he gets him, and, and really, if you look at it, they're going to work together. It's kind of like a pastor and an assistant pastor. They're not given the titles, obviously, here, but that's the idea. Uh, they're laboring together, they're working together, and for a whole year now, Barnabas and Saul are going to labor together in this place of Antioch. And uh, if you look at it in verse number 24, many are saved. If you look at it in verse uh, uh, 23 and 24, there's much growth in the church. Uh, If you look in verse number 26, you'll see that they're teaching together. So there's a multitude of teaching that developed a multitude of teachers. We'll see that in just a minute. Uh, There's the maturity of the believers. Verse number 26 at the end says the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So it's like Barnabas, who's this this powerhouse of a pastor, in a sense. And I know God's not a respecter of persons, but he's somebody who has the right balance. He's a right fit for this place. I mean, he comes in with some boldness, but also some gentleness. He's not prejudiced, but he does understand uh, how to preach in a bold manner without uh, just blowing everybody away all the time. And, and so here comes Barnabas. He's got some balance to him. and He's gonna preach and the lives are being changed. The church is growing. He goes up against Saul. And now for a whole year, they're laboring together they're training the people together. Really what they're doing is they're taking young Christians and they're making them into disciples. And they did such a good job that in one year the people around the city started saying those people are like little Christ. I mean they're just like Jesus was. That's what a Christian means little Christ. And they're looking at them and they're saying their lives match up to what they understood of the Bible and their lives match up to the way Jesus would have been and, and the way that some of them now still remembered him as being. And, and they're looking at it and they're saying, this is incredible. I mean, these people are just little miniature versions. They're not quite perfect, but they're little miniature versions of Jesus himself. So they begin to call him Christian. Why? At least in part because there's some people that are helping them to learn how to grow and to train and to become disciples. And and, and they're developing them I in mean, that kind of a manner. So, I mean, this thing is exciting. People are being saved. They're maturing then uh, of the believers. They're becoming more and more like Jesus. And then in verses 27 to 30, and we're not going to read this all for time, uh, but you see that there's a meaningful concern for others, uh, so much so that when they find out there's need in Jerusalem, that that concern actually causes them to come to the place of sacrifice. And they're going to give a sacrificial offering, and they're going to give that offering to Paul and Barnabas so that they can carry that back up uh, to Jerusalem and deliver it to those in Jerusalem to help meet their needs during this time of need. And so, uh, I mean, there's, there's just a right spirit, there's a right joy, there's a right excitement, there's a right burden for uh, souls, there's also a passion for others and uh, concern for others. I mean, we see all the elements here uh, are, are really just what they ought to be. And if you flip over now to chapter 12, And verse 25, the last verse in the chapter, Uh, at the end of chapter 11, Paul and Barnabas have it and they're leaving. They're heading to Jerusalem. In verse number 25, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John whose surname was Mark. So now we find uh, Paul and Barnabas, they leave, and now the story picks right back up where it was as they return. Now while they're in Jerusalem, the story we looked at a few weeks ago, uh, Peter's in prison and the angel comes and delivers it, that happens apparently while they're in Jerusalem. And maybe they were a part of that prayer meeting and Rhoda came running in. We don't know. But uh, that all happens there in chapter 12. The last verse of chapter 12, we Where we were, they're coming back. Uh, Most likely, Paul and Barnabas left Antioch and jumped on the highway that was known as the Via Maris or the Way of the Sea. And it was a path that would lead right up the sea. It was a highway at that time, a little different than we would think of a highway. And they probably would have walked along this path until they would branch off at one of the various points to head back to the east where they would be able to get to Jerusalem. Uh, They may have branched off at Caesarea. They could have gone further south and branched off around Joppa and cut up through the Agilon Valley. They may have left that highway around Ekron and cut through the Valley of Sorek. You remember the Valley of Sorek from uh, Samson. And so uh, some of these places that you hear about in even the Old Testament, they're coming right up through one of those paths, most likely, over into Jerusalem. And, and so they're coming through this direction. They're walking no matter what route they went. It was somewhere around 300 miles, uh, approximately 300 miles from Uh, Antioch up to Jerusalem. So if they averaged 20 miles a day, which would be really good walking, and uh, there's a question as to whether that'd be possible, but if you figured at that and uh, made really good time, they could have made this journey in somewhere around 15 days. So that means they've been gone a while. They probably spent a little bit of time there in Jerusalem with uh, the the apostles and things of that nature. And uh, it would seem later, as though we see that was probable, and uh, so they probably spent some time there. And so they've been gone probably a little over a month, maybe uh, even a couple of months. And now they're coming back in verse number 25 as they come back down the Via Maris and uh, back into Antioch uh, and back to this place. And so you can imagine in verse number 25 of chapter 12, the joy of the church in Antioch. Can't you imagine what it must have been like? I mean, here are Paul... Still called Saul. He's going to be called Saul for about another half of the chapter. Uh, But uh, it says Saul, who was also called Paul. So I'm just going with Paul. uh, But here comes Paul and Barnabas, and they're coming back down the the, uh, trail. And here they come back into the city, and certainly the Christians perhaps uh, watching for them every day, knowing they're going to be on their way soon. And so as they come back into Antioch, and they come to that next church service, can't you imagine how excited people were? I mean, they've been gone a month or so, maybe a couple of months. And we've got these other teachers. I mean, if you look in chapter 13, verse number 1, it says, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius the Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, so there's other teachers there, other preachers that uh, apparently had been covering things while they were gone. But I mean, these guys are like other assistant pastors. They've been developed. They've been homegrown here in this church. They probably got saved and now they've become disciples and God is using them or calling them even into the ministry. And, uh, and so it's an exciting thing. There's this number of teachers, but, but none of them are Barnabas. I mean, Barnabas is, he's like the pastor. Barnabas is the one who came down when there wasn't a lot of teachers and when they didn't know exactly how to organize everything. And and for the last over a year now, he's been laboring with them and teaching them. And and then he went up and got Saul out of Tarsus, and he brought him back. And they labored together, and they taught together. And these two that are really the leader of the church have now been gone for a while. And and you can just imagine as they come back, people must have said, good, now we can get back to normal. I mean, things. it's not that we don't like when Manan teaches but now, I mean, it's just we got Barnabas back. And, and it's not that, that we don't like it, you know, when Simeon gets up to preach, but, but Saul is back, Paul's back. I mean, we're just so excited. Everything just kind of goes back to normal now. And those guys can go back to filling their roles as a Sunday school teacher or a youth pastor or whatever. And, and, and Paul and Barnabas, they're back as the pastor, the assistant pastor. They're back to give us leadership. Man, this is an exciting time. We're so glad to get back to normal. You know, sometimes God just doesn't let us get back to normal, amen? Not in the capacity we might envision. And so now, all of that is the idea. You can imagine the scenario of these men who have invested so much coming home and the joy that must have been there. And in that setting, we read verse number two of chapter 13. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work Whereinto I have called them. Can you imagine the emotion that must have been there in this church at this time? I mean, here they are. These men have just gotten home. They're just about to get back to normal. Everything's about to smooth back out and get back to what they're used to. And then God steps in and says, hey, I want you; those two guys that have been gone Really what God did is he moved them for a little while with them coming back so that some other people could learn how to step into some positions is what I I believe is happening there. And then when they come back from delivering this to Jerusalem, God says, look, now I have a different work. This was always God's plan." I have a different plan for you. My plan is not for you just to stay there. Uh, and I want you to, uh, in Antioch, I want you to move. I want you to go somewhere else. So now God begins to put a calling on their life. And, and you can imagine the joy as God begins to reveal the plan that must have been in the church. Hey, they were joyful. We're sending missionaries. They're going to be the first church to send missionaries overseas. The first time it's ever happened. There must have been some joy in that because these people obviously had a burden for souls. So they must have said, hey, we're excited on that side. But at the same time, there's sorrow in it, because if they're going to go overseas, that means they're not going to be here, and we like them being here, and we love these people. We want them to stay here, and, and so we really don't want them to leave, and so the, you can imagine the joy of sending, but also the sorrow of realizing that means that there's a departing that must take place as well, and, and really today, that's where we stand as a church. There's a joy about it. I hope that there's an excitement that you have that says, man, we're excited for the stars to take the next step that God has prepared and planned for their life. But, but at the same time, we don't want them to not be here. And there's sorrow on our side, even though there's a joy about what God's going to use them for. And, and we're excited about all that. We really are. But at the same time, we don't want them to leave here. So what do we do in those times? How do we handle that kind of a situation? And I want to take a couple of principles from this story this morning that I believe can be a help. And I just want to give you quickly this morning, three truths that can give comfort and also challenge us as we take some similar steps. Number one, I see that God cared for the church. God cared for the church. He said, pastor, what's going to happen when Pastor Star and Miss Emily are no longer here to fulfill all the roles that they've fulfilled. Can I say to you, I don't know that I have every answer. But here's what I do know, God takes care of his church. And that's what we see here in verse number one. All these other men had already been prepared. And what God did is he said, look, now I'm going to take these guys over here to do a different work. And what he's doing in our church, he's saying, I'm going to take the stars over here to do a different work. But now there's some others that have been prepared. They're going to be forced to step up or at least they're going to have an opportunity to step up into that role. And it might be that you say, you know, I'm sure there's someone in our church that needs to step into that. But maybe it's you. He said, Good, I like the role of some preaching. No, 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 what if the role is cleaning a toilet that Pastor Joe would have cleaned? He <laughs> said, Did he do that? I don't know, but maybe. And, and so I'm just saying, whatever it is, we ought to say, Hey, I have a desire to be able to step into a place of service and help fill some of those things. Because here's what happens there's a chasm of ministry that is left that now, as a church, we have to be able to fill. And so that uh, is not a bad thing, it's just the reality. Uh, One of the things that Joe understood was this very principle. God always cares for his church. And when I came uh, in January, or I guess it was late December, I sat down with Pastor Joe and I said, hey, uh, I, I would like for you, if you'd be willing to commit to staying for at least one year, at least until next year in January, would you be willing to do that? And he said, well, honestly, I've had some opportunities. I really believe that God is ready to take us to a place to pastor a church, and I really believe he's probably going to do that uh, fairly soon. He said, but here's what I will commit to. He said, I won't go and look for anything, but if the Lord brings something along, then I'd like to have the freedom to respond to that and see if God's in it. I said, yeah, that's very fair. And uh, so that was kind of what we did, and I thought, I'm not going to tell anyone. In fact, I'm going to tell every pastor out there don't even say hi to him. And... uh, And so I thought, that'll probably work fine. That won't be a big deal. And then a few weeks ago, he came and he said, hey, there was a church that had called me one time, and they called me back when they saw that we had a pastor, because I told them that I wouldn't leave here until this church had a pastor, uh, because we were in the middle of a transition. And you know why he told them that? Because Joe understood God always provides for his church. And he said, I think part of God's provision for his church, part of God's caring for his church, is putting me, Pastor Joe, putting me in this place right now until we get through the transition. But then once we have a pastor uh, for the, the foreseeable future, and we kind of know the direction, then I believe that at that point, God has cared for his church in that area, such that it would allow me to be able to move on. And you know what he did? He took a biblical principle and he put it in play in his life, and he turned down something that uh, he was very excited about, a church in an area he had a burden for that he wanted to pastor, and he said, no, I'm not even willing to consider it right now because part of God caring for Eagle Heights Baptist Church is me being here until we finish this transition. You know, I, I'm greatly appreciative and thankful that Pastor Joe had an understanding that he was part of God caring for this church during that time. What great wisdom, what a help that is. I see that God always cares for his church and God has and is caring for our church. Then number two, I see this principle. God calls choice servants from the church. Verse number two, uh, he said, uh, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. You know, probably there was someone in the church who began to think, I wonder why God couldn't just call Menahem." You know, I mean, he's he's a good preacher. He could go over and reach those other places, but we really need Barnabas and Paul here. And you might say, you know, uh, I I mean, why couldn't God use somebody else in Cheyenne, Wyoming? Why would it have to be Pastor Joe? (laughs) Because that's what God chose. Amen? I don't know the answer to that. You don't know the answer to that. And they don't know the answer to that. It's just God's plan. And his plan is always the right plan. And and so we see here that God does not just choose. They might have said, uh, maybe somebody in Antioch said, you know, there's this old guy that just, uh, or or a couple that they just sit on the back row all the time. Nothing against you back row people. (laughs) They just sit on the back row and they don't ever do anything. They just sit there and they just frown. They're never happy. I mean, why couldn't God take them over there? You know why God, and, and, and I've heard this idea even, uh, and a lot, is that, well, maybe if we put them in that position, then they'll become faithful. Why didn't God use them? Maybe they'll be faithful then. And here's why. God never takes someone and puts them into a position to try to get them to be faithful. God takes somebody who's being faithful and then puts them in a position. You know what God did? He looked and he saw a man and a family who are just being faithful and serving the Lord and being consistent at Eagle Heights Baptist Church, and the Lord said... I want to separate them for the work where until I have called them over in Cheyenne, Wyoming. You know, it's easy for us to look at that and say, but Lord, why not somebody else? There's a lot of other people in this country. There's a lot of other possibilities. Why don't you use somebody else? But God is always right in his plan and he always chooses the choice servant. You know what that means? If God's going to choose a choice servant, that means there's going to be a gap left when they leave because they're a choice servant in part because they're serving well. And so God's going to have a, uh, or God moving them is going to leave a gap that then we have to work together to be able to fill. And that's okay because that's how God works in the church to bring people to a new place. Sometimes even to do something they never anticipated doing or anticipated doing again because God is working in their life. I see number one, God always cares for his church. Number two, God calls choice servants. And then principle number three, God was pleased with the conduct of this church. I believe we can learn a lot from the conduct of the church here in Antioch. I thought about a few reactions they could have had. This is not a, an exhaustive list, just a couple ideas. Uh, but I thought, first of all, they could have had a selfish reaction. The church in Antioch could have gone and said, hey, hey, guys, I know you think God's calling you to go do something, but look, we really need you here, and we really love you here. We'll pay you a little more money, and we'll give you a little more stuff, and we'll make sure that we're really kind to you, at least for the next week or so. And, and I mean, there's some really nice things we could do. We'll buy you a bigger house. We'll get you a fast chariot. I mean, whatever it would take, would you just consider staying here? They could have tried to talk them into staying. But you know, that would have been a selfish reaction. That would have been saying, we want what we want more than we want what God wants for your life. They could have had a selfish reaction. Secondly, they could have had an angry reaction. They could have said, you know, that old Paul and Barnabas, they just want a bigger name for themselves. They probably just want to go over there so they can start a whole bunch of churches so everybody will read about them for the next 5,000 years. And they just think they're a big big shot and they're a big deal and no churches can be planted if it's not for them. They could have said, I know why they're leaving. I bet they're leaving because of so-and-so. You know, I mean, so-and-so. They probably said something that hurt their feelings. You know what would have happened if they'd have tried to figure out why are they leaving outside of the leading and the moving of the Holy Spirit of God? They'd either gotten angry, they'd have gotten selfish, or they would have had disunity and gotten mad at somebody else in the church because they were determined it must have been that person. When in reality, it was just the Holy Spirit of God working and moving in the lives of those people. And what, let me encourage you, don't try to figure out some reason outside of the moving of the Holy Spirit that Joe and Emily are leaving. Don't say, oh, I bet somebody made them mad. or "I bet." No, no, no. It's really just a very simple thing. They came and said, Pastor, we just believe that God is working in this. They believed for a while God was moving them to this step. And they said, this is the place we believe that God wants us. You know what happened? The Holy Ghost said, separate unto me the stars for the work, whereunto I have called them. I see this church didn't have a wrong response, but rather they had a godly response. What did they do? We see here, first of all, verse number three, it says, and when they had fasted and prayed. Can I say to you, as we send a servant from here to another place to labor in a different ministry, we ought to spend some time praying for them. I'd encourage you to spend some time fasting, miss a meal here and there, and uh, maybe take a day or maybe a week and fast and pray for Joe and Emily as they go and begin a whole new work in a whole new place. And uh, there's something about uh, the excitement of, of taking a new church and the joy of that, and especially the first time of pastoring. But you remember what Solomon said when he became the king? He said, I don't know how to go out or to come in. His whole life he was trained how to go out and come in as a king. But when it came time to do it, he said, I don't know about all this. You know, Pastor Joe's going to come to some things that he's going to say, I know I've seen how this works. And I know that I've seen how other people have done it. And I know even what the Bible says, but I don't know if I know how to do it. He said, why? He's well trained. Yeah, but it's different. You know what he needs? He needs to know there's a church in Kansas City, Eagle Heights Baptist Church, that's saying, hey, we're backing you with prayer.'" We're praying for you. Hey, uh, what an encouragement every now and then to get a text over the next uh, several months saying, hey, Pastor Joe, don't know anything that's going on or anything, but just want you to know I'm praying for you. Hey, I fasted for you at lunch today. Just want you to know I was fasting and praying for you. You know, you might have no clue what's going on, but there might be some situation that he's dealing with, and even the people in the church might not know what's going on there. And he's dealing with something, and what an encouragement in a moment of discouragement to just get a text. Hey, Pastor, I'm praying for you. I want you to know we care. Let me encourage you to do that over the next few weeks uh, and months. That's what they did. They here didn't have the advantage of texting, but here they do it at this point and they fasted and they prayed. Uh, secondly, The Bible tells us that they laid hands on them. Uh, The idea here is that uh, it's an action of love and they're showing that they care for these men and they are sending them out. And and we're not sending Joe out as a missionary out of our church or anything of that nature. It would be a little bit different. Uh, But it is a sign still of affection and that they're asking and praying specifically for God's protection and for effectiveness in the work to which God was calling them. So they fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them. And then number three, they sent them away. Here's what I see there. They were unselfish with the gifts that God had given them for a time. Someone said they held with open hand that which God had entrusted to them. You know, really, that's how God has designed it, that we would hold his gifts in open hands. God gives us the gift of children as parents. But you know, we should hold them with open hands. Lord, you can use them however you want to. I've seen parents try to grab on and destroy their children because they didn't let God do what they wanted to do with them. You know, we should hold our finances with open hands. Lord, I'm just stewarding over my children. I'm just stewarding over my finances, however you want to use it, whatever you want to do with it. Lord, if I don't have as much as I think I should sometimes, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'll hold it with open hands, however you want to use my finances, I'll trust you with it. And you know, that's exactly how we ought to hold the resources, if I could say it that way, of ministry as a church the people that God entrusts for us to care for, the people that God gives as a gift like he has the stars, that we ought to say, Lord, now we're holding that with open hand. We're thankful for the time they're here. We're thankful for the work that they've done in this place. But Lord, if you choose to do something different, we're not going to try to grab and hold. Rather, we'll trust that your plan is right. And so here are some people in a church that go through a situation and they have a godly response. They allow all of the plan of God to take place. And I see in closing that usually the call of God requires three things as it did here. Number one, it requires departure. Not always, but oftentimes it requires departure to be sent away or to set forth. And we're talking in this ministry context. When God moves someone from one ministry to another, often that requires a physical change of location as well. It requires departure. Secondly, it requires dependence. Trusting God as all the comforts of familiarity are removed is an interesting place to stand. And that's where the stars will stand in just a few weeks. It requires departure. It requires dependence And then it requires a destination. We see in verse number five, it says that when they were at Salamis, they preached. In other words, they got to the place God had called them. and they began the ministry that God had for them. Pastor Joe and Miss Emily, uh, they have a destination. Cheyenne, Wyoming. They're going with the plan of depending and trusting on God, but unfortunately it will require a departure. They're going to have to go there to do the work there. So while there's sorrow in our hearts, Let's also make sure that we hold loosely that which God has entrusted. And we say, Lord, we trust your plan. You are good. You are right. And Lord, as we walk through this, we want to have a godly response and pray for them and really bathe the ministry there in prayer and fasting that, Lord, you would give them protection and that you would give them an effectiveness in ministry that is indescribable, that's beyond comprehension outside of just the fact that God stepped in and did what only God can do. Let's pray in that kind of a manner. I'm going to ask tonight, uh, or this morning, it's a little bit different of a service, so rather than a typical invitation, I'm going to ask, we'll have a short one, uh, but then I'm going to ask Pastor Joe, if you will, to come up here, and uh, you can make your way as we bow our heads and close our eyes, and uh, we'll have just a short invitation time, but I'm not going to...